We want to continue with our exposition of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. We are now at chapter 5. One chapter, another chapter I should say, that is jammed, packed with exciting and wonderful truths. In chapter 4, Paul defended the authenticity of his apostleship and the purity of his ministry as far as the message was concerned. In chapter 4, he mentions the sufferings that he underwent in order to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. And he talked about all the different kinds of pressures he had as a result of being true to his ministry and to his calling. And the pressures were so great. And he experienced beatings, stonings, imprisonment, being pursued by his enemies on an ongoing basis. So he came to the point where he started to think about dying. In fact, he was going to say in this passage that it would be probably better for him to die as far as he was personally concerned because of all of the sufferings that he was experiencing. And because of his focus on death and the afterlife, through the inspiration of the Spirit, God has given us some wonderful truths concerning what we ourselves have to look forward to, but also focuses on the importance of our humanity in the plan of God and why it is important for us to take care of our bodies. Paul gives us what I will call later a theology of the body. And we're going to be talking about that lately. But turn with me now then to chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Verse 1 begins, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven. Paul opens the chapter with the assurance that if his earthly house should be destroyed as a result of the sufferings that he mentioned in the preceding chapter, he knows that he has a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, he says. He's referring, of course, to his physical body. The tent describes his physical body. Now notice that there are two illustrations used here to describe his body. The first is a tent. A tent is something that is temporary. It's not a permanent structure. And notice it says taken down. This is a Greek word which means to pull up stakes, as it were, and to leave where you are and to go someplace else. So Paul is talking about his death, the death of his physical body. At death, the body goes to the grave, whereas the spirit and the soul of the believer, as he will talk about in a moment, goes to be with the Lord. But notice, Paul makes a contrast here between a tent and a house. His body here is a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. But the body that he is looking forward to is a house. It's permanent. It's eternal. It's quite a contrast. It's a big difference here. Notice what he says. We know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, we will have a house in heaven. He's sure of that. And he's looking forward to this house in heaven. This eternal house in heaven. 
It's important for us to read this passage very carefully now. Paul is looking forward then to a permanent glorified body in the heavens. He makes this quite clear in the next statement in the verse where he says, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not made by human hands. So Paul is specifically referring to an eternal body that is made by God and it has nothing to do with this earth. He's not talking about another temporary body. He's talking about an eternal glorified body. It's important for us to see that here. Now, what does it mean when he says, not made with hands? Eternal body for us by God himself and not by human hands. Well, the writer to the Hebrews tells us exactly what it means. In chapter 9 and verse 11, this is what the author says. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Notice now, not made with hands. That is, he's going to explain what it means not made with hands. Not of this creation. So this building that Paul, this home that Paul is looking forward to, has to do with another creation. In a creation that is entirely different from the one he is living in on earth. It's an eternal, heavenly creation. And so what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, is that whereas our present bodies are suited to life on this earth, our future glorified bodies will not be of this creation. It will be something entirely different. These bodies, he says, will be especially designed for life in glory with Christ. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he explains the necessity for this new body. Here's what he says in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, that's this human temporary body, cannot, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable, that's this body, inherit the imperishable. That's another creation. That's the creation that has to do with God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die, talking to believers, but we will all be changed. We have to be changed into this new realm. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Notice the must there. And in the Greek, this is what we call the must of necessity. This is something that has to be done. It's the same word, for instance, used of Jesus when he was going uh, uh through Samaria, and it says he must pass through Samaria. Jesus just did not pass that way haphazardly. This was something that was designed in glory for Jesus to pass by to meet the woman at the well. It's a must of necessity. This is the same thing we have here. These bodies of the believer must be changed. They must be changed in order for our redemption to be complete. This is the new body or tabernacle or house or set of clothes. Paul will be talking about at the moment. As Paul is longing for. That's what he's longing for. This eternal, imperishable, 
mortal body. He is not longing for a temporal or intermediate body. He's not longing for unclothed or a disembodied state, although it would mean being with Christ. And he says it's far better than being on earth in an earthly body. This body is still subject to pain, the decay, and eventual decomposition. But Paul isn't yearning here to be with Jesus in a disembodied state, unclothed. Paul is yearning or longing for the change and transformation of the body that happens at the rapture or resurrection of the saints. That is what he is longing for. I want to emphasize this because most of the time we are longing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord, which is good. But Paul is going to tell us that's not the best. And that's what he's going to be focusing on. Now, it might sound from this verse that if a believer, that a believer will receive this building from God the moment he or she dies. But that is not the case. We do not get this glorified body until Christ comes back for his church. So there is a period that we have to wait if we die in order to receive the glorified body. We do not receive it the moment we die. There's an intermediate period of time. We won't receive the body until the rapture or the resurrection of the saints. Paul, I believe, makes this very clear in verses 2 and 3. Notice what he says. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Notice Paul's emphasis. We long. I'm yearning. This is what I'm looking forward to. I want to make it clear because we get confused here. He is not looking forward to be with Christ without a body. He's bypassing that. He wants to, what we will say today, he was not looking for the undertaker. He was looking for the upper taker. We must see that here in this passage. Paul states a fact that we all experience. We grow weary in our present bodies. Now, Lord knows I know what that means. All right? I feel that way right now, in fact. Yesterday we had a funeral, and I had a tough time going to that funeral. In fact, I had to avoid going up to the house afterwards because I just could do this. body was weary. His body was tired. So I know what Paul is talking about. In context now, Paul is referring to his beatings and all of the other uh, punishment that he received as a result of his ministry. He had stoning, constant fleeing from his enemies. He is tired of it, is what he's saying. At least we would say today, he is weary of it. Paul's body is feeling the impact, the effects of his ministry as an apostle and remaining true to the gospel. Notice, there's another change in metaphor here. He now likens our human, mortal, decaying bodies to clothes we put on and put off. Remember, he began with a tent, then he started about a house, and now he's saying that the bodies are like clothes. Each one of these metaphors or illustrations carry a particular truth. One has to do with being temporary. The other one has to be doing with uh, being permanent. Now, putting on the clothes has to do with the idea of our, because he talks about putting on the old man, putting on the things of the new man, putting off the old man and all of that. This has to do with a change that takes place. A change for the better. And that is what he's talking. Notice carefully now. 4, verse 3. We will put on heavenly bodies. Notice that. We will put on heavenly bodies. This is the body of a new creation. This is a body 
that is made not with human hands, but by God himself. He says, we will not be spirits without bodies. This is the New Living Translation. We will not be spirits without bodies. So he's not talking about what happens right after death. He's talking about what happens for eternity. We will have a body. When we change our clothes, we will put on clothes that will never wear out. It's like the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. Their shoes, their clothing, nothing wore out. That's the kind of body we're going to have when we get into glory. A body that never wears out. And boy, I am yearning for that. Now this is where we have to read the text very carefully. Very carefully in order to get what Paul is saying here. And so I want to repeat and reemphasize, and I will be doing that throughout our study. The King James Version says, we will not be found, what? Naked. You see? In other words, um, Paul says, we will not be, in, you're talking about eternity now, we will not be living in eternity without a body. We will have a body for eternity. But as we go on, we'll see that's not going to be true for the period of time between our death and the resurrection. There seems to be a time we will be naked, but not for eternity. Now, there's a lot of discussion concerning this, all right? But this is what it appears to say as far as my studies are concerned. Paul is saying he does not want to be in a state where he is without a body. He wants and longs for a heavenly body that is eternal. So Paul is not referring to a temporary body here. He's referring to a permanent, eternal, heavenly body. This means that he is not speaking about bodies we will have immediately when we die and our spirit and our soul goes to be with Christ. This is a misconception we have. We mistakenly hold on to the idea that to be present with the Lord when we die, we will enter a state or condition we will be in for eternity. That is not true. The state we enter into immediately after death when we are with Christ is not the state we will be in for eternity. Yes, a spirit and soul, we will be with Christ. But as far as our body is concerned, we won't have one. And you're going to see this is why the body is so important in Christianity. The body is a part of our humanity. It's an essential part of our being made in the image of God. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Paul is not teaching that we're then going to have a body for eternity immediately after we die. He's saying that that's a temporary condition, and it is one in which we do not have a new or transformed body. And although that is far better for him than being on earth in a body that is subject to pain and suffering, it is not the final and best state in which to be. So there's a comparison here. He is now going to explain in detail what is the Christian's ultimate hope. And it's not an immediate, it's, it is not an intermediate temporal state where we go when we die. Paul is looking forward, or beyond that, to the rapture and final glorification of our bodies. And he's building the case to show that our very humanity is tied into our having a body. That's why Jesus Christ has a body today. If our body was not important, Jesus Christ would not have gone into heaven with that glorified body. But our body is important to our humanity, and our humanity is important to the plan of God's redemption for his people. And so I say, Jesus Christ has a body in heaven. This is a mystery, folks, 
and don't let it bypass you because we should be in awe and wonderment what ha- is happening. Now, you know, we have the understanding that the triune God cannot change. Isn't that right? We cannot add to or take anything away from the triune God and the triune God remains to be God. But yet a mystery is right now there is in heaven something that was not there before Christ was resurrected. And that something is a glorified human body, not spirit, but a glorified human body in heaven right now. And it's eternal. And that's the kind of body we're going to have. And that's the kind of body Paul is looking forward to. Paul was not looking forward to dying and being with the Lord. I'm not saying that is not right. But he was not looking forward to that. Paul was looking forward to having his body changed for eternity. Always. We're going to see that in a moment. Notice what he says in verse 4. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not what we... Now, if you don't believe that is true, come over to my house and listen to me in the night when I'm trying to sleep. All right? We groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die... This is Paul speaking now. Put it in context. He's suffering because of his ministry. His body is being bruised and battered. It is not that I want to die. Let's put it personal because that's how he's talking. The we here is editorial. It's not that I want to die and get rid of my body that clothes. He said, now, it's not just I just want to die to get out of the body because uh, that's not his teaching. What he's saying is this. While I am alive in my present body, I groan and sigh. However, don't misunderstand me now, he says. It's not that I want to die in order to get rid of my body. That's not the case. Paul is not teaching that the body is a prison of the soul. That is not true. The body is not a prison. That comes from Greek philosophy and so on. So Paul is not teaching that the body is a prison of the soul or the spirit. Notice what he says. Rather, he's given the contrast now. This is what he means. I want to put on my new body so that this dying body will be swallowed up in life. I want to put on a body that will have nothing to do with death or dying any longer. I want to put on a body that will always be characterized by life. That's the eternal body that he's looking for. So he's saying, what I am looking for is to put on a body that will once for all do away with a body that is subject to death. Now this is an important statement Paul is making here, and we often misinterpret the passage. Again, I say, contrary to popular belief, Paul is not longing to be with Christ to await the rapture. He is longing to bypass this immediate state. And to experience the rapture and glorification of the body immediately. In other words, as I said before, he is longing for the upper taker, not the undertaker. And that's what I'm longing for as well. In other words, Paul uh, did not look forward to the state between death and the rapture as the ideal hope of the believer. He's not looking at that as the ideal hope. Many of us do. Paul is not. But rather, he's looking forward to what will take place at the rapture when believers will receive a body that will no longer be subject to death. Now, as we will see as we go in this passage, there are three possibilities for the Christian. And it's simply a matter of which is most to be preferred when it comes to death. First, 
Paul says, there's a present life on earth in this mortal body. That's the first one. Now, in context, he's saying, that's where I am right now. Right now, I don't prefer to be in this one. Second, there's a state between death and the coming of Christ. This is a disembodied state, however, but yet it is one in which the spirit and soul of the believer are consciously enjoying Christ's presence, but without the body. Paul speaks of this tension in Philippians chapter 1. Notice what he says. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Now, I want you to see the comparison here is not very much better than the glorified body. It's very much better than being on earth in this body that is being bruised and battered. That's the comparison. Yet, to remain on the earth is more necessary for your sake. So, Paul feels then a pull from earth and a pull from heaven. In context, due to the pressure and pain his physical earthly body is experiencing at the time, he would prefer to be out of that body and to be with Christ, even though it means being without a body until the rapture. But if he had a choice right then, he'd prefer to be in that disembodied state than to be in a body on earth that's taken a beating. That's what he's saying here. Now, uh, he says, if it means being out of the body until the rapture, I'd prefer to do in that, be in that state than to be on earth to be my body taking a beating. It's very much better than being in this earthly body, he's saying. However, he says, I realize it would be better for you, for me, to remain on earth. It's better for me to go and be in a disembodied state, but it's better for you if I stay in my body and get continue to get beat upon. But there's a third choice that he's talking about here. And this is the one that is preferred by Paul. And that is the consummation of our salvation when we receive our glorified bodies at the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is simply teaching in this passage then that the first state is good. That's being here on earth with them. But the second is better. That's being with Christ in a disembodied state. But the third is best of all, and that's having a body that's completely transformed forever. To put it in Bahamian terms, one is good, one is gooder, and one is goodest. That is what Paul is talking about here, all right? Now look at the next verse, verse 5. We know that this is Paul's choice. He says, God himself, now this is an amazing statement, God himself has prepared us for this. God himself has done it. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, this takes us back into the book of Ephesians and the sovereignty and God and the predestination. All of that is involved in what Paul is saying here. God himself has prepared us for this. What? For this glorified body. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, in other words, first came, the message of truth, the gospel, belief in that, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. This is a magnificent passage of scripture. It gives us exactly what happens to us when we listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We have to believe it in order to be sealed with the Spirit. And that Spirit guarantees us a redemption. He's re- the redemption here has to do with the redemption of the body. The final thing that has to be done as far as our salvation is concerned is the redemption of our body. And our bodies are transformed. That's going to be the final part of our salvation being accomplished. So the purchased possession refers to our bodies. Redemption refers to the resurrection or rapture when our bodies are transformed into the likeness of Christ's resurrection body. Notice what it says in verse 6. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Now, several things of note come here. And I'm, I'm going to explain in a moment what might appear like a contradiction. If you're reading carefully, you might see a contradiction. But I'm going to explain it. Several things, though, in this passage. First, note that Paul says, our home is where the Lord is. And do you know that one of the things that is going to climax the book of Revelation and the New Jerusalem is what? God coming to live in the midst of his people. That is where heaven is. That is where our home is, wherever God is. Now, here's an important thing. We all have the idea that we are going up to heaven to be with God. But you know something the Bible teaches a little different. God is coming down to earth to be with us. Now, if you want to learn and all about the intricacies of this, come out to Talios. Because we're talking about this right now to show you what all of this means. We are always looking about going to heaven and flying around with a little harp on a cloud and everything. But friends, heaven is going to be on earth. And the reason why is because that's where God is coming to live amongst his people. Now, so he says, we are confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. That's a characteristic of our being in these physical bodies. We live by believing, not seeing. Second, he says, as long as we have these mortal bodies on, we will not be at home with the Lord. The implication is clear. To to be with him or he to be with us, we cannot be in these mortal bodies. Even when we are on this earth when he is here, we cannot be in these mortal bodies. They have to be changed. Third, one evidence that we are not at home with the Lord is that we do, we do not and cannot see him. Now, that word doesn't mean just a glance. That means to look at him carefully, deeply, meaningfully. We cannot see him for who he is. You see? So this is characteristic of our living in the model body. We cannot see God as he is. Now, yes, as we saw in chapter 3, when we go into the word of God, because of the new covenant, as we read and study the word of God, we can see Christ in the scriptures. We can see God in Christ, and we can go from glory to glory. But that's only a shadow of what is to come. There's coming a time when we will be able to see him more than we're able to see him right now. We will never, though, be able to see him completely and fully. Because God is living in a heaven, in a, in a 
locality, if you want, that we ourselves cannot enter as human beings, not even in our glorified bodies. The only way we can have that intimate relationship is not our going to be with him, but him coming to be with us. Important thing to notice. The Apostle Peter talks about this. He says in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Apostle John always also talks about it in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He says this, Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we will be what? Like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. The implication is we will not be able to see him just as he is unless we are like him. And that's where the transformation comes in. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. In other words, the more we see of Christ even now in the scriptures, the more we become like him. We can always tell a Christian who is growing in Christ and really is having a close fellowship with Christ. It's the Christian who is more like him. That's the one that we can be sure has a close relationship with Christ. But Paul continues in verse 8 of our chapter 5. Yes, we are fully confident. Paul has no doubt of this. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. But now put that in context. That's because of the pain and sufferings that he was saying. He would prefer to be with Christ in a disembodied state rather than to be on earth, although he was doing good, uh, while the body was being uh, mistreated and so on. But he says, verse 9, So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, living or dying, our goal is to please him. That is quite a passage of scripture. Think about it carefully. This verse might seem to contradict what the apostle has just been saying in the preceding verses that he was looking forward to the glorified body. But here he says that he is willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. In other words, willing rather to be in the disembodied state that exists between death and the rapture. But that was because of what he was experiencing in his body at that time. But there's no contradiction here. Personalize this again in order to understand what is happening. Paul is speaking specifically about himself and his then current circumstances. He's saying something like this, if I were to paraphrase it. If it's one thing I am sure of, it's this. Right now, I'd rather be dead so that I could be home with my resurrected Lord. However, my commitment and resolve is that I will please him wherever I am. Here on earth, taking a beating for him, or at his side, enjoying his presence. Notice now, because the next verse helps us to understand it, the next two verses. So, whether we are here in the body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Notice now, even though he may not have an earthly body, he is still an identifiable person. In other words, he wants to please him as an, indiv- as an individual. He will confirm this again. He can please the Lord in either condition, in or with a body, 
or away from his body without an earthly body, he says he can please the Lord. Now, how can he please the Lord if he is with the Lord, if we get that impression here? How can he please the Lord in glory? Well, perhaps he's not speaking about glory. He is saying then, I would prefer my spirit or my soul to be with the Lord than to be here on earth in my decaying body. But whatever the case, Paul's resolve is to be pleasing to the Lord, either here or there. Verse 10 explains what he's saying. Notice, for, is the reason, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now you can understand what he means by saying that he could please God even though he's not in his human body. So when he says he wants to please Christ away from his body, he means that he wants to please him when he stands before him at the bema, at the judgment seat of Christ, where he will be rewarded for what he has done while alive on earth, living in his earthly body. He wants to please him while he is working. He wants to please him when he receives the reward for what he did. Now, this is quite another topic, the judgment seat of Christ. Many people fear the judgment seat of Christ. That's because we don't understand what the judgment seat of Christ is. Really, the judgment seat of Christ is not the best name for it. It's actually the reward seat of Christ, or the award seat of Christ. This judgment has to do with determining of rewards, not determining whether you will, what kind of punishment you will get. Very important to understand that. He wants to please God on earth while he's earning these rewards and he wants to please him when he stands before him to receive them. That's what he's saying here. Now we're going to discuss the judgment seat of Christ or the beamer in my next message. But I want to review what we've covered so far because this is an important chapter with an important subject. Paul, I said, is actually giving us a theology of the human body and its essential part of our humanity, which is so vitally important to God as well. So just let me give you some main points here. We're talking about the imago Deo in man, the image of God in man. This is what distinguishes us from the animal world. It is the image of God. And so I call it the theology of the body in its relationship to our humanity. The body is the essence of humanity. Our humanness, our humanness, if you want. We could not be human without a body. We could not be human without a body. We do not have a soul or spirit. We are soul or spirit. And our body is an essential part of who we are as human beings made in the image of God. The body is what distinguishes, and the image of God, is what distinguishes us from the animals in this world and what will identify us in the world to come. I wish we had more time here. You know, there's some people who teach that after death, the spirit, soul, and body goes into the grave and remains there. And we have no consciousness whatever. At the resurrection, when God raises us, we will not be the same person who went into the grave. Because... All of our memories and everything else will be gone, will be finished. So when we are raised, we are actually a new person, completely. 
That's why I don't believe that we're going to be able to identify our loved ones in glory because we lost our identity. But when you understand really what Paul is teaching concerning the essential need for having a human body and so on, and the fact that God will raise it as it is, we do not lose our identity. We do not lose our identity. We go, our spirit, soul, go to be with Christ. Conscious. We are aware of his presence, his goodness, his glory, his person. We are aware of all of these things. And, um, but we are not human in the sense of our humanity being glorified. I'll explain that in a moment. It is the physical temporal home of the eternal spiritual makeup of the human being. And each of our bodies are unique to us. That's why when God raises the body, you're going to be able to know who I am. I'm going to be able to know who you are. Now, you may not like that, but that's going to be true anyway. We're going to know one another because of our our humanness and the fact that God has given us a special imprint, as it were, each of us, each as our body. As I say again, the body is not a, is not a prison for the spirit or the soul. The body is the final human element to be redeemed by glorification. And the way that's going to be done is by God putting away, Jesus Christ putting away death, defeating death. Because the way you defeat death is through resurrection. And the resurrection is the last event that will cause Satan to be put away forever. The body will be eternal and immortal. The body will be. That shows that God has an important need for the body. If this were not so, he would not redeem our body. He would just let it go. Stay in the grave. Stay in the ground. But not so. Let me give you a little diagram here. I hope it comes out okay. I had a problem putting it together because I had to get a piece from here, a piece from there. But I hope it comes up. When we were created, we were created as a complete person with the image of God within us. In other words, as we would say, most of you are what we call trichotomists. In other words, people who believe that a man or human being is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Now, there are others who teach what is called dichotomy, which believes that there are only two parts to man, the material and the immaterial. And the spirit and the soul refers to the same immaterial part. Only thing... uh, uh, the use spirit and soul to distinguish certain elements of it, but it's only two parts. Then there's another teaching which is called the monon's teaching, which is body, soul, and spirit is one, all together. But some who teach that, teaches that, what I just mentioned, that when you die, that means then that the person disintegrates because the spirit or soul does not leave the body when it dies, it stays there. So when the body disintegrates, then the human being disintegrates. Now, I don't believe that happens, but I do believe that the person is one integrated spirit, soul, and body. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God. God breathed into the nostrils of man, and man became a living being or a living soul. So when he was created, when we are created, we, are com- we were a complete person, as it were. But then sin came in, and that resulted in what I call a fallen nature and a fractured person. Because of sin, the 
person, first of all, became a fallen person. He had a fallen nature. Now, what all of us as fallen people are longing for is to be without sin. Isn't that right? We are in a human body longing to be without sin. Now, when we die, we become a fractured person. A fractured person is a person whose spirit and soul has been removed from the body. The body stays on the earth, the spirit and soul goes back. All right? That's what I call a fractured person. Now, what is the fractured person longing for? That's what Paul was in the chapters we were reading. He was longing for spirit, soul, and body to be reunited so he could experience that complete humanity once again. So the last diagram here you'll have spirit, soul, well, that's not the last one, I hope. This is the second to the last one. Um, at death, the body remains on the earth. The soul and spirit goes up to be with Christ. But now, while we are with Christ, without a resurrected body, we still are not complete. We are still yearning. The, unsa- the, the, the natural person in the sin was yearning to be without sin. When we die and we get to be with Christ and there's no sin... We're still yearning for something else. And what we're yearning for is to have a body that will be final. And that's what we have in our last diagram. That comes at the rapture. Now what happens is the soul and the spirit that left the body at death returns to the body. Now if you see here, I have two arrows, one leading up and one pointing down. That's because we're going to be changed in the air. You see what I'm saying? In other words, the spirit and the soul is coming towards the body and the body is going towards the soul. That's how I see the rapture taking place. God raising us from the, if we are dead, raising us from the ground, but at the same time bringing our spirit, our soul to unite us. The body then is essential to the plan of God for the redemption of man. Our bodies are important. For instance, you go to the book of Romans. Paul talks about the body, especially in chapter 6. And also chapter 12, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you do what? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Then in Romans 6, he says, we are to go on presenting the members of our bodies as instruments of righteousness. The body is an essential part of our humanity. And humanity is an important and essential part of God's program. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to be a human being, to be a man and not an angel. There's a man in glory right now that's Jesus Christ and he's there in his resurrected body. It wasn't the spirit of Jesus that was resurrected. It was the body of Jesus. The physical body of Jesus that was resurrected. Now all of this should go to teach us that we should treat our bodies better than we do. Why? Because we're really worth it. Remember that ad on TV? Get all these makeups and everything and Spend all the money to make yourself look good. Why? Because you're worth it. Well, I'm telling you, as far as our bodies are concerned, we need to treat our bodies good. Why? Because we're worth it. And we're worth it because Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just to redeem our spirits and our souls, but to redeem our bodies. And in actual fact, the redemption of our bodies is going to be the climax of our redemption. It is not the re- it is not the resurrection of our spirit or soul that is the climax. It is the resurrection of our body. And our bodies will be transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
to be just like that of Jesus Christ. And then we will have humanity restored. It's a tremendous teaching here uh, concerning the body. But we have something to look forward to, don't we? We have a glorious future. Being with Christ, yes. But also being with him in a glorified body, not in a disembodied state. Now, we're going to pick up from verse 10 when he talks about the judgment seat of Christ next time, Lord willing. But today, let's rejoice in the great salvation we have and the confident hope we have that one day these mortal bodies will put on immortality. These perishable bodies will put on imperishability, if that's the word, and we will be just like Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessed hope you've given to us. We pray that as we consider this hope, our lives may become pure, even as Jesus is pure. And all of God's people said, Amen.